Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, so I'm going to invite you, if you would, go ahead, open up in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. But before I do that, uh, let's spend a moment praying, asking God to help us. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that it is It is light for us. You tell us in Colossians chapter 3 that when we gather together that the word of Christ should dwell richly in us. And you say that because you want us to be filled with light. You said in Ephesians chapter 4 we've already looked at that we are no longer darkness. If we're in Christ, we're no longer darkness. We're actually light. We're filled with light. We are light You've given that to us, and you want us to walk in more and more light. And the way that we walk in light is by knowing your word. And so, oh, Father, we pray, would you please be gracious to us today? Like it says in Psalms, it says that your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path, and we need to know how to walk. We need to know how to walk in the world. We need to know how to navigate our lives and the people that we lead. We need that, God. And so we pray, please give us help today to understand your word. Illuminate your word. Please make it make sense to us as we listen to your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Danielle and I, my wife and I, bought our, uh, our first house in January of 2004, it was a little yellow house in, uh, off of Ray Road in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was a few miles away from our church, Starbucks, and Chick-fil-A. So that kind of felt like the perfect triangulation, right, you know, of how you make a decision on a house. So uh, we went to the closing for our house, and the guy that we bought the house from said to me, do you have a lawnmower? And uh, I I said, no, I don't have a lawnmower. And he said, well, I want to give you my lawnmower, which was, I mean, it was just amazing. So he said, but here's the thing about this lawnmower. You need to just listen to me, okay? It doesn't have a kill switch on the lawnmower. And so when you're finished mowing the lawn, you need to reach down and take the spark plug off of the, uh, the little, little thing, you know? Yeah, wherever that is. You take the spark plug out. So I said, sounds good, got it. He said, okay, there's one other thing that you need to pay attention to. There is no casing around the spark plug. And so when you grab that thing, or whenever you dislodge it, make sure that you're not doing it with your bare hands. Now let me just tell you this, okay? This was turning out to be one of the greatest days of my life, all right? I just bought a house, and on top of that, the guy at closing gave me a lawnmower. So he was talking to me, right? And I was nodding my head, but I was not paying attention to anything that he was saying to me at all, okay? So came to the first day, I'm mowing my lawn, I finish, and when I'm finished mowing the lawn, I reach down, and as I'm reaching down, the thought goes through my mind, he said something about a spark, and you know, as I'm grabbing, I think of the word spark plug, and I grab it with my bare hands, there's no casing around it, and as the jolt goes through my body, I remember he said something about pay attention to the way that you grab this thing. He said, don't do that. And why do I say that? Well, today we have from Paul a, a word where he says, pay attention. He says, pay attention to a couple things. And when we hear the word, pay attention, it is an act of love towards us, isn't it? If somebody says to you, pay attention, it's a way of loving you. But to ignore pay attention is a way of being foolish, isn't it? It's just foolish for us not to listen. 
So I want us to listen to a couple ways that Paul says to us. I want you to pay attention to some really important things. We are in Ephesians 5. I'm going to start reading verses 15 to 18. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible. Look at what I'm reading here. I'm going to go through verse 18 right now. We're going to pause there, and then we'll keep going in just a moment. It says this. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now you probably notice, keep looking at your Bible there for just a moment. You probably notice all of the positive and negative statements. Did you see that there? Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of the days because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. So what is Paul doing there? All that positive and negative stuff. What's he doing? Well, he's helping them think about their new life in Christ, right? We saw this a couple of weeks ago that you are no longer, if you're in Christ, you were darkness, but now you are light. And so he's orienting them to think about, okay, what does it mean for you to be light, to be filled with light? And the word that Paul uses here to modify how to pay careful attention is a word that means accuracy or precision. So what's he saying to them? He's saying that you're not just going to stumble upon how to be wise. You're going to have to think. You're going to have to analyze. You're going to have to use your minds. So I think a big heading that could summarize this whole statement, and it's the first fill in the blank that you have, it's this, that we should pay attention to the way that you think because it will impact your life. Pay attention to the way that you think because it's going to impact your life. But friends, let me ask you this question. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for all of us to believe that the most authentic version of ourself is wrapped up in our feels? and our emotions, right? Like our feels are our true north. Like that's the thing that tells us who we are, what we're like, where we're going. Some of us feel that way. And our feels can uh, often, uh, we can think that that's the way that we are our most authentic version of ourselves. I heard an author recently say this, that our emotions should be a gauge for us, but they are not our guide. And whenever they become a guide for us and not just a gauge, then things just kind of get all out of, out of whack, out of place. I was in college ministry years ago and one of our leaders called me one, one afternoon and he said, Daniel, I feel like your church or our church and the Bible are too confining when, it thinks of, when it's talking to us, me and my girlfriend, about our physical relationship. He said to me, I, we have been thinking about it, and we feel like we want to continue sleeping together, which was, at the time, it was news to me. I didn't know that was going on with this brother. And so immediately, I started pleading with this guy. I said, bro, listen to what God's word says. Listen to what it's saying. Listen to where this is going to end. This is not a wise decision for you. Now, what was happening for he and his girlfriend? What happened was that their emotions, their feels had become their guide. And what they did with the word of God is they just, they decided to set it aside. You know, one of the most striking places that we see this in all of the Bible is in Psalm 106. You don't need to turn there. It's going to be up on the screen. But I want to read to us what happens in Psalm 106 where the psalmist is confessing the sins of the people because they've been wandering away. He's confessing their sin and he says this, both we and our fathers have sinned. 
We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, listen to this, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So what was it that led to the disastrous sin of wandering away from God? They didn't consider. They didn't remember, right? They had substantive evidence of God's steadfast love right in front of them, but they just willfully overlooked it. They were guided by what what felt right instead of looking at what they knew. They did not pay attention to the Lord. I think that we could probably say this, that the opposite of not paying attention to God and his word isn't just laziness, it's sin. It's sin to not pay attention to what God has said. Jen Wilkin, uh, some of you know this author, Jen Wilkin, she wrote a book in 2014, it's called Women of the Word. And I would encourage all of you, not just women, not just ladies, all of you to try to go find this book. It's a phenomenal book. And the message of the book, one of the messages of the book is wrapped up in a quote I I wanna give you today, and it's this, that the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. I love the simplicity and the clarity of that statement. The heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. And it's a reminder that if I am not growing to, in my knowledge and love for God, then I am growing to overvalue my feels and my emotions, right? Look, the heart cannot love what the mind doesn't know is just another way of saying that my affections are always going to be downstream from what I give my attention to. Let me say that again. The, the heart cannot love what the mind doesn't know is another way of saying that my affections are always going to be downstream from what I give my attention to. I read an article the other day that said that in the past, the largest companies in the world, always, they sold oil and gasoline. But today, the largest companies, they sell attention. You know, think about Apple and Google and Facebook and Instagram. All of these these companies, they're selling attention. And this is why. They know that if they get your attention, that they've got your resources. They've got you, right? Christian, your attention to the word of God will literally impact everything in your life. I hope that we're taking this in right now. It will impact everything in your life. Do you want to live in wisdom? Do you want to make most of the days that God has given you? Do you want to know the will of the Lord for your life? Then pay attention to the word and pay attention to how you live. David uh, Mathis is is a writer and he said this, that Jesus is worthy of our ear. So Christian teaching formed and filled by the scripture culminating in Christ himself is worthy of our attention. So Paul wants us to pay attention to the way that we think because it's going to impact our lives. But he also wants us to pay attention to the way that we live because it's going to impact our worship. Pay attention to the way that you live because it's going to impact your worship. Look, look at the next negative and positive statements. Look back at your Bible there, Ephesians 5. We're going to start now in verse 18 and go through 21. It says this, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with, by the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. 
So there's a structural thing I want you to look at as we're, as we're looking at this text. So keep looking at your Bibles for just a moment, and you're going to see something here. So there's a main command that comes to us, and it's be filled with the Spirit. So that's the main command. But then Paul gives us five participles, and they're I-N-G words. They're words that are going to help us figure out how to fulfill the command that he's given to us. And you're going to see them there. Just look at your Bible. It says, speaking to one another singing and making music, giving thanks, submitting to one another. So these three actions, those five participles, I think can be summed up in three actions, and here they are. That we should, the actions that show that we're filled with the Spirit of God are singing, thanksgiving, and submitting. Let me say that again. Singing, thanksgiving, and submitting. But before we look at what it means to, uh, to, to do those things, those three different actions, I want us just to think for a moment about the command that comes in there. I don't know if you, you felt like it was a little bit out of nowhere to not get drunk with wine, right? So first he's talking about the life of our mind, and then he talks about the life of worship, but then what's the thought bridge that gets Paul to talk about not being drunk with wine, well, look, uh, let's just think for just a moment about how these two commands, not getting drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit, actually do kind of correspond with each other. Both of those things have something from the outside coming in and impacting our behavior. One of the fillings leads to reckless living, to a wasted life, and one of them leads to a life of worship, right? So alcohol, when it's taken to this kind of excess, distorts your reality. Have you ever heard alcohol talked about as liquid courage, right? The reason people call alcohol liquid courage is that you will, when you have an excess of alcohol in your body, you will do things that you would never dream of doing in real life, right? To your shame. So liquid courage, sorry, alcohol, not liquid courage. (laughs) Alcohol tells you this lie, it tells you this lie that you, are, that you are invincible, that you can do anything that you want. It tells you this lie that you're hilarious, right? That everybody laughs at your jokes. It tells you a lie that you're a heavyweight fighter, that you can do anything, you can fight anybody. And Paul is saying, look, if you live like this, friends, you are wasting your life. I also think, though, that Paul is saying one other thing that's really powerful about alcohol here. Look back at verse 16. So he says something here about the days. He says, make the most of the time because the days are evil. Do you see that there? The days are evil. So how do you respond to knowing that the days are evil? You know, for many of us, it's easier to get drunk with wine and then to, than to deal with the, the hardship of evil days. Like some of us are so aware that uh, we don't get along with our boss. Our life with our boss is really difficult. Maybe some of you are thinking that I, I fight nonstop with my wife. My kids won't listen to me. Or maybe just look at the news. That we see on the news that people made in the image of God are being murdered because of the color of their skin. Or maybe you just think about how even in our own city, we know that there are little boys and little girls that are being trafficked in this very city. You just think about the, uh, we, we don't have to look very far to know that the days are evil. So then here's the question, what's your response to that? Is it to get drunk Is it to to not have to deal with it? Maybe you're afraid that if you take in all of those realities that it would lead to anxiety or depression in your life and you just don't want to deal with it. 
And look, it's not just alcohol that leads, that allows us to escape reality like this. Anything that comes in and controls us will do that. Some of us are getting drunk on fitness. Some of us are getting drunk on work. Some of us are getting drunk on entertainment and Instagram and shopping. So the question is this, what is controlling you? If it's controlling you, then it's keeping you from making the most of the days instead of redeeming them. So Paul, I think, makes this negative command here because he wants the beauty of the positive command that he's going to give in just a moment to just shine even more. So what does he say? Be filled with the Spirit. So then we have to ask this question. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? You know, the Bible talks about the work of the Spirit a lot, and it gives us so many categories, but I want to give us two that I think show up in the book of Ephesians. And you might even want to write this down somewhere or or just jot it down to think about even, even more later. In the book of Ephesians, I think that we see the work of the Spirit being the work of assuring us and maturing us. He does a work of assuring and maturing So think first about how he does a work of assuring. So Ephesians chapter one, Paul says there that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. So what does that mean? It means it's such a precious promise that the Spirit comes in and he assures us, not it, he assures us that we are are Christ's. He breathes into us the certainty of our salvation And it breathes into our troubled heart and it reminds us that God loves us, that God cares for us, and that God is going to bring us to himself one day. So he assures us, but he also does a work of maturing us. Think about what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. Pastor Matt preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is praying for these Ephesian Christians. and, And what does he say? He says, Christians, I want you to be strengthened through the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one helping them be strengthened. And what does he say? I want you to comprehend the depth of the love of God. And so when you comprehend the depth of the love of God, that means that you will be filled with all the fullness of God. So what's he saying to them there? He says, and what he means by that is that the Spirit is the one that mediates the maturing work of God in all of us. When you and I grasp the love of God, the depth of the love of God, that's the Spirit filling you up, maturing you. Think about that. When you take something in, maybe you memorize it, you read it, you think about it, and then it affects your life, it helps you change, that's the Spirit doing that work. He's mediating the maturing of you up into the fullness of Christ. Little kids, think about this. When you memorize some scripture with Mr. John or Miss, Phil, Miss Phyllis, when you memorize that and then you take it in and you start to actually think about it and it changes the way that you think, maybe you're obeying mom and dad a little bit more, that's the spirit. That's the spirit doing work in your life. Praise God for that. So that's what the spirit does. I want us now to think about how do we go about getting filled up with the spirit? 
I think Paul wants us to know how we do that. Well, let's look a little bit more carefully at the phrase that he uses here. And I think the answer for how comes in the phrase that he used. And the phrase he uses here could literally be translated. So first of all, let me just say, we don't ever just literally translate the, the, uh, the manuscripts, the Greek, right into English. It would be really difficult for us to understand, or it would, it, wouldn't, it would be like a jumble in English. But if we wanted to do that, one of the ways that we could literally translate this command, be filled with the Holy Spirit, it could come out like this. It would say, y'all be being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? I know that that is really bad grammar, but it's going to help us, okay? Y'all be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want us right now to go back to seventh grade English altogether, okay? I know it's, uh, it's the middle of summer. You don't want to think about school, but it's a quarantine summer, and so you haven't been in school for a while, okay? So you're, you're due for a little bit of time, okay? So um, the, the verb here that he's using, I'm going to try to go slowly. You might even want to write this down. The verb that he uses here is a plural, present, passive imperative. I know you're like, oh my gracious, what is this dude talking about? One more time. It's a plural, present continuous, passive imperative. So what does that mean? Well, here, let, let's think first about imperative, okay? Imperative just means that it's a command. He, Paul is not coming to us and giving us a suggestion. He is saying to us, you must be filled. We could actually have probably put that in. Y'all must be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command to us. Secondly, it's plural that means it's a command that's been given to the entire church. It's not a command that's given to the spiritually elite among us. It's to everyone. All the church needs to obey this. Third, it's a present continuous. This means that it's an action that should be going, ongoing, over and over again. Paul's expectation is that this filling of the Spirit, like we said just a moment ago, is another way of saying that God is maturing you. So if God is maturing us when we are this present continuous idea of getting filled up with the fullness of God, and that's how God matures us, then, how, then why would any of us want it just to happen one time, right? All of us should want this to happen over and over and over again. And finally, though, this verb is a passive verb. So that means that it's a passive command. I want us to just think about this for a moment. So go back again to seventh grade English here just for a minute, okay? What's an active sentence? An active sentence would be something like this. Daniel played the guitar, okay? The action, Daniel is the one doing the action there, okay? Now a passive verb sentence would be something like this. The guitar was played, so the action is being done to the guitar. So let me ask you this. Why is that so important then? Well, it's, it's important because of this. We think about obeying a command that must be done to you. How do we obey a command that must be done to you? How are we expected to do that? Well, but just think about this. That this is one of the ways, this is how we came to Christ in the first place. Isn't it, Christian? That when, when, when we heard the call of God, the call went out to us to obey God, repent of our sins, and run to him. That we know that full of our sin, we had no way of obeying this, right? We had no way of coming to God. And so what did Christ do? He strengthened us to obey that. And so in the first place, we've always kind of been doing stuff like this in the Christian walk. And let me just pause here and say that if you hear me today, if you're in this room or if you're, if you're at the live stream or you hear this on the podcast or whenever, if you feel like Christ right now is helping you see that you are sinful, 
and he's drawing you to himself, then I want to encourage you to obey God and run to him. Run to Christ. Repent of your sin. Obey this command. So I want just to think for just a moment what this command means. I think that he's saying this, that Christians, listen to this, and you might even want to write this down. Christians can and should submit to the transforming work of the Spirit in our lives. Christians can and should submit to the transforming work of the Spirit in our lives. All of us should be aware that we are either submitting to or resisting the Spirit's work. And this is a lot like saying, prepare the way of the Lord in your heart. Like cut down everything in your life that is not allowing you to run to Him. So Paul doesn't really give us here a multi-step plan for how to be filled with the Spirit. You probably saw that. But what he does give us is some evidences that we are filled with the Spirit. Do you remember those? There's three of them we looked at just a moment ago. We're going to be singing. If you are filled up with the Spirit, you're going to be singing, you're going to be giving thanks, and then you're going to be submitting. So let's, let's look at all of those. First, singing to one another. So what does this command mean? Does this mean that if you are a Christian and you're filled up with the Spirit of God, does this mean that you are all of a sudden going to turn into uh, Broadway in Birmingham? Like you're just going to start singing everything to everybody like, thank you for the bagel. Would you pass the coffee? Right? No, that's not it at all. Some, all of you are like, praise the Lord. I don't want to do that. This is what it means. It means that God, there is a welling up, if you are a Christian filled up with the Spirit of God, that there is a welling up of joy and gladness and hope and longing in your heart, and it comes out in a song. But also, I want you to notice the direction of these songs. Speaking, listen to this, speaking to one another, making music in your heart to the Lord. You know, every worship gathering, there are two audiences that we're thinking about, the vertical and the horizontal. And you've probably heard somebody say before that when we come to worship, we're worshiping before an audience of one. Have you heard that before? Well, that's 50% right, but that's not all the way right. When every time that we come into worship, we actually are thinking about how I am a means of spiritual grace I'm a means of growth for all of you in here. And so if I am mumbling or cross-armed in my worship, I am keeping some growth in Christ from you. So that means that I want to be as active as possible. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it's not just our horizontal worship we think about. We also think about our vertical worship too. Corporate worship is an opportunity for thankful joy in our hearts to have an expression of praise. I want us to listen to what Jonathan Edwards uh, said about this. I think this is a really helpful quote. He says, The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it in, with music, but only that such is the nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. So what's Edward saying there? Well, he first is, he's saying this, that if you took a microphone and you put it to your heart, that's kind of what singing is. That everything that's in your heart is just gonna come out in song. Everything that you think about God and you love about God, it comes out in song. But he's also saying one other really profound thing, that we don't know why this is. Like for some reason, God has made all of us, every single one of us, so that beautiful music and beautiful melody, and these rhyming, powerful words, they just do this thing. They move our hearts. So 
in light of those truths, I want to give us a couple of things, four things to think about when you come in here to worship every single Sunday. And the first one is this, bring dry kindling to worship. <laughs> bring dry kindling into worship. I said this a few weeks ago in a BH together, um, but one of the most important things that you can do to get ready for worship on Saturday night is good, get a good night of sleep, right? <laughs> So you need to, we need to come into worship attentive, alert, ready. If we come in here and we're coming in tired and sleepy and uninterested, it's like bringing waterlogged kindling to a campfire, right? If you bring waterlogged kindling into a campfire, you are not getting s'mores that evening, okay? You're just not. So coming in here with waterlogged kindling is like, it's kind of like saying uh, to the band and the music and everything happening up here that I want you just to ignite this waterlogged kindling of my heart. We don't have the ability to do that. We're just not going to be able to do that. But listen, if you come in here with this dry kindling, eager, ready, anticipating what God's going to do, then I promise you that you will have more than enough to ignite the fire of worship in your heart. The second one is this, be active in your singing for us and to God. I wish we had time right now to look at all of the actions attached to singing to God in in the Bible, but I I just want us to think about this, that those actions all tell the story of your heart. Every one of them tell the story of your heart. God wants your hands raised to him because he wants a heart raised to him in worship. God wants your, your, your knees to bow to him in worship because he, want a, he wants a heart that is bowed to him in reverence. God wants your loudest song because he wants a, a, an earnest life of worship from you. The third one is this, scan the room for a blessing. Okay, I think that one of the greatest blessings that God's given me in 18 years of of vocational ministry is getting to look out and watch all of you sing. And I know that that sounds creepy when I say that, but just listen to what I mean by that, okay? I get to know a lot of the stories of the people in this room. I, I know wives and kids that have lost their dad over the last few years. I know families where the dad has just decided to walk out on the home. I know parents that have had to bury their kids. I know husbands that are dealing or or, or caring for their ailing wives. And I get to, on Sunday morning, I get to look out and I get to see them with their hands up in the air say, Christ alone, cornerstone. The weak are made strong in the Savior's love. I get to see them singing out that we're going to feast in the house of Zion. That one day, all of this heartache is going to turn into happiness. I get to see those stories, but this is what I want to encourage you to do. To look out and do the same thing. It doesn't need to just be me doing that. I want to encourage you, just turn around. It's going to be awkward at first. I know that. But scan the room. Look at people. It's going to be such an encouragement to you. So the next thing is this. Sing even when you're discouraged. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we all came in here every single Sunday just brimming with joy, waiting for the first note? But you know, most of us don't come in here like that. Just about every Sunday, I think about uh, the words from Psalm 40. It says this, He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay. He set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. And he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. You know, God loves to take Christians that are buried in mud, couldn't get up if they wanted to, 
And he loves to pull them up and make them stand and then put a song in their heart. And God might want to do that with you. One of the songs or the lyrics or a scripture reading, God loves to make us strong by doing that. And so every time that we come in, if you come in here discouraged and low, I want to encourage you just to sing out. Remember that God loves to do the work of pulling you up out of the pit and putting a song in your heart. So these two final things, we've looked at singing. Now, I just want us to look very briefly at thanksgiving and submitting. I think it's interesting here that uh, there's a command to give thanks so connected to the worship of the church. You know, music and worship is one of the most contentious things that the church ever talks about, isn't it? Often, the spirit of critique is so much more prevalent than the spirit of thanksgiving, But I remember reading years ago, Harold Best said this about worship. He said that a mature Christian is easily edified. And what he's saying when he says that is that uh, he means that it doesn't take a whole lot for a mature Christian to be really thankful, really encouraged. You know, I'm so encouraged by the spirit of thanksgiving that's here at the Church of Brook Hills. But I want us to all be really aware that Satan would love nothing more for us to be filled up with fault-finding grumblers. So let's, let's pray that the Spirit continues to make us a thankful people. And then the last one is this, that he, makes us a, he helps us submit to one another. So singing, thanksgiving, and then submitting. We started by looking at the Spirit's work of filling us up, being a work of maturing us. And one of the most tangible ways that we see that we're growing in Christ-likeness is our willingness to be a servant, you think about what it says in Philippians. It says that, have this mind in you which, was in, which also was in Christ, that even though he was in the form of God, what did he do? He became a servant. So what does that mean? It means that immature Christians to b- demand to be served, but a maturing Christian looks for ways to serve and submit to other Christians. You know, this is not just keeping the peace. This is us showing reverence for God by giving deference to other people, showing deference to other Christians. Let's pray that God does that work in our church. So in in closing here, I wonder if this morning as you heard that we were going to be talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I wonder if you were like, oh man, I am ready for some of this Navy SEALs Christian stuff, filled with the Spirit. I am so ready And now that you heard a a sermon about being filled with the Spirit, and what did I say? I said that being filled with the Spirit means that you just sing, and you're thankful, and you're submitting. I wonder if you just kind of feel like, wah, wah, like really? Is that it, when I'm filled up with the Spirit? I want you to just think for a moment about the story of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. Do you know this story? Naaman was this powerful general in the Syrian army, and he had conquered Israel, but he, uh, he came down with a skin disease, and he couldn't get healed from it. And he found out that in Israel, there was a prophet, Elisha, that could heal him of his skin disease. So what does he do? He gets a, he gets a letter from the, the, the king. He gets all of this money, and he gets chariots and horses, and he's bringing it to Elisha. And why? Because he wants to buy a blessing. He wants to buy a healing. And so he comes to Elisha, and Elisha just says to him, I want you just to go. I don't want your money. I want you just to go and dip in the Jordan River. And so what does Naaman do? Naaman Naaman walks away in a rage. The Bible says that he walks away angry. He walked away angry. Why? Because it was so little. It was so ordinary. 
It was so tiny. He felt like what Elisha should do should come out. He should call on the name of the Lord, wave his hands over this skin disease, and it would be gone. And what he was calling him to do was just so little and so ordinary. So thankfully, some of his servants caught up to him and he said, listen, they said, listen, just obey him, just listen. And he did. And guess what happened? He was healed of his skin disease. Friends, the Spirit of God absolutely does amazing works in our lives and in the world. But listen, he also shows up to enable the ordinary things that without him would be completely impossible, like singing, like being thankful, and like submitting to one another. So let's praise God for his work and let's ask him to keep doing it in our church.